I'm not preaching on revival, so <laughs> we'll have to uh, shift gears a little bit. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Second Timothy chapter two, and we will finish out this chapter today. Second Timothy chapter two, verses twenty through 26. Anybody know if that's safe? Yes. It is? Second Timothy 2, 20 through 26. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and, sil- and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. But the, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. So... Our title of our message this morning is Prepared for Usefulness. Prepared for Usefulness. So just a little bit about our context and in a way of of review. We have talked about uh, at the beginning of this chapter of chapter 2 where Paul tells Timothy to commit the truth to faithful men who will also teach others. So we have this We talked about generational truth by multiplication because one tells one or one tells three, those three tell three, those 27 tell, you know, just it really compounds very quickly and how that we're to commit truth to faithful men and and we're to be about the truth. He then warned Timothy in verses three through seven about hardness. You must endure hardness, be prepared to suffer because if you do that work, if you're concerned about truth, if you pass on truth to the next generation, you can take it to the bank that there's going to be hardness, there's going to be persecution. That's not going to go unnoticed. Number three was a reminder of uh, the fact that Jesus Christ, the son of David, is risen from the dead and he reigns over the world forever. I think he's given Timothy all this hard news. He needed to encourage him a little bit. So right in, the, in kind of the middle of the chapter there in verse 8, he, he reminds him, Remember Jesus Christ, the son of David, is risen from the dead. He reigns over the world. So all this hardness that you're facing, just remember he's still in control. Uh, He's still the risen Christ. And that preachers may be bound, but the word of God is not. The word of God is not bound. God has his elect in this world, and we must be willing to suffer for the elect's sake in verse 10. God cannot deny himself. Uh, Trust him, and your salvation is sure as his commitment to his name. But deny him, and your judgment is as sure as his commitment to his name. It's in 12 and 13. And then, this divine seal, the Lord knows them who are his. 
and the evidence that, that you are his is that you depart from iniquity. And that's where we left off last time. So kind of a review of the chapter there. And, and in our last message, we looked at uh, bewaring foolish words and false teachers. That's going to tie very closely in with this today because he's going to be talking a little bit about those false teachers in our text today. Uh, we talked about an unashamed workman who a- accurately handles the word of truth and then a two-sided coin that God knows his people and his people flee sin. Now, that's kind of a review of where we are in the chapter. Now to introduce the text today, our title says prepared for usefulness. So what do we mean by that? Prepared for usefulness. Well, the word prepared, uh, especially in this context, it means made ready for use, ready to do And I really like this, ready to do or to deal with something. So ready to do or to deal with something. That's what prepared means. And then this is a key word for this morning, usefulness. You're going to hear me talk a lot about usefulness uh, in, in the message today. What is usefulness? It is the quality or fact of being useful. Um, and there, here's some similar, um, ideas that we're going to tie into it. Functionality, fitness, utility, effectiveness, and even success. So usefulness has to do with those ideas. So just a few questions before we dive into our text that will kind of focus our minds around the way we want to look at this text of 2 Timothy 2, 20 through 26. Do we today have a desire to be used by God? Do you want to be useful in the kingdom of God? Do you want to be able to say, I want God to use me in his kingdom? And how do you prepare for that? How does the church prepare for that? How does, even as a collective body, I think we can ask that question on different levels. Number one, myself, how do I want to be useful in the kingdom of God? And how do I prepare myself for that? And then the church as a whole, how does the, does the church want to be used by God? What does that look like and mean? And then how, do the, how does the church prepare to be used by God or, or for usefulness? So then how do the concepts of functionality, fitness, utility, effectiveness, and even success fit into the concept of usefulness in the kingdom of God? See, if you're useful, you're going to have some success, right? There's going to be some success to that. That's what really usefulness is about. So I'm going to go ahead and, and give it away. We're not by any means going to answer all those questions completely this morning. But I do believe that Paul gives us the beginnings of the answers to these questions in our text today. So there'll be three points. The first one will be sanctified by separation. Sanctified by separation. Secondly, flee and follow. Flee and follow. And then third, patience with prisoners. Patience with prisoners. So we look at the first one, sanctified by separation. It's kind of an interesting title because sanctification is, in a way, a separation. It is a setting apart. Uh, The word itself kind of means separation. So what do we mean by sanctified by separation? Let's go back to our text. Look in verses 20 and 21. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every 
good work. So the first thing we want to look at is it says, but in a great house. So what does this great house mean? What does it stand for? Well, I guess the easy way to define it would just be saying it means the world. It just means all the people. So in, a, in the world, there are vessels of honor. There are vessels of dishonor. There are uh, the gold and silver, and there's the wood and the earth. That's an oversimplification. So I'm with John Gill on this one. I really don't think that's what it's talking about. I think what's been the, the concept of this whole chapter, when you put this in context, this great house is a picture of the church. Amen. So that's the scary thing. Because that means in the church, there's vessels of gold and silver, and there's vessels of wood and earth. Not, not just in the world itself. We know that. We know that that's true. I guess the, the warning here and the idea here that he's preparing Timothy for, you know, what he's doing, he's preparing Timothy for ministry. Well, in ministry, you better understand that even in the church, there's wood and earth, and there's gold and silver. There are vessels of honor. There are vessels of dishonor. You better be prepared for that. So this great house, I believe it means the visible church, the, the visible church, the church that we see. So the church that is assembled here this morning, we could use that for an example. To illustrate this a little better, let me ask a question. Are there people sitting in churches this morning claiming to be Christian believers who are either in error or habitual sin or are even unbelievers in reality? Do you think that's true? I know that's true. I know that's true. That's true in many places. Now zero it in just a little bit more. Do you believe that some of those churches that we just said where those people are sitting might have Primitive Baptist on their sign? True. Absolutely true. It's true. We're not exempt from that, right? Uh, our, our churches are not different in that way. So we're not exempt from that at all. So the answer, sadly, is yes to those questions. Those things are true. So I believe then that Paul is saying here that even in the church, there are those like the ones he's spoken about earlier in this book. You know, he gave us examples. He said, here's a couple of guys that are in the church, and they've led a bunch of people astray. They've overthrown the faith of some. And he says, now we're going to talk about this not in specific, but I'm going to give you the general principle. So he's already told us about this in the book. There are those like the ones he's spoken about that are in error and can lead others away from the right path and from biblical truth it's a danger it's something that we must address so the language used here is vessels so as he's talking about this he says in a great house so we're talking about the church there are not only vessels of gold and silver but also vessels of wood and earth so vessels is the term that he uses well vessels carry something in them right it's it's something that holds something else well, the vessels of gold and silver carry something honorable and good. The vessels of wood and earth carry something that's dishonorable and not good. That's a way to simplify it. Now, we could get really detailed on that. I don't need to. Um, it's fine. I, I think we can understand that just as it is. So vessels carry something in them, and these vessels of honor, one, and, and the vessels of dishonor, something else. So what is the importance, then, of identifying these vessels, and how does that prepare me to be a useful minister of the gospel, how does that prepare me to do that? Or to be useful servants of God who are not ministers, so just believers. How does that prepare you to be useful in the service of God, even though you're not a minister? I think, um, and, and we're gonna, I'm going to try to restate this as many times as possible. This message is not just for the ministry. I think it has a very particular and special meaning for the ministry, but it's for every one of us 
as believers. This is something we all need to guard against and be careful about. So why is it then that, that we identify these vessels? What's so important about it? Why, why do we need to address this in the church? Well, the answer comes in verse 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. If a man therefore, that's a conditional statement, right? That means there's an option here. You can keep these people around and let them continue to influence, or you can purge them and separate yourself from them. And so what the text is telling us that is that if we do that, if we purge ourselves from these, that will make us a vessel of honor. It will set us apart. Purge himself from these. So that statement links the following with the previous information from verse 20 specifically and really to the whole chapter. So if a man therefore, that therefore links us back to 20. So he gives us the information in verse 20. He says, look, here's the reality. In the church, even in the church, there are vessels of honor, there are vessels of dishonor. So now let me give you this, this statement. If you purge yourself from these. So what to purge himself, what does that mean? What does it mean to purge? To separate himself, uh, clean them out uh, from influence to himself and others. Shorthand version, don't walk with them and pretend like there's peace where there's no peace. And there's agreement when there's not. Because if you do, it will limit your usefulness in the kingdom of God. It will limit the usefulness of the church. It will limit the amount of maturity the church is able to reach. You will hinder your usefulness in the kingdom. If you purge yourself from these, he shall be a vessel, vessel of honor, sanctified and meet for the master's youth, prepared unto every good work. So when we're answering those questions that we asked in the beginning, I want to be useful in the kingdom of God. How do I prepare for that? Paul's first answer to Timothy is you're going to have to separate yourself from certain people. You're going to have to make sure and, and be on top of this. You're going to have to purge from those who are teaching things that are not honorable. They are vessels of dishonor. What that means is they're carrying things. They are bringing things that are not honorable, that are not true. So remember the questions that we asked to begin this message. And, and in one of those, we talked about those, those kind of um, similar words. Uh, to, to usefulness we said functionality fitness utility effectiveness and success so it says he shall be in our in our verse 21 here if you do this if you purge yourself from these he shall be a vessel unto honor that speaks of functionality right that tells what your function would be if if you do that speaks to functionality meet for the master's use i think that talks about fitness Maybe fitness for doing something. If you're meat for the master's use, if you're ready for the master's use, that speaks of fitness. Um, for the master's use is utility as well and prepared unto every good work. That's effectiveness and success. That's really what it's about. So prepared unto every good work. So if we want, and I'll bring in revival since we were talking about it. <laughs> um, if we want revival in our churches, if we want church growth, if we want church maturity, if we want all of those things, purging is a piece of that. It is something that 
Um, if we want our churches to grow in number and in usefulness uh, for our ministry and for our service to God as believers, sometimes there's addition by subtraction. You ever heard that statement? I use it in sports a lot. You know, there's a, there's a local team who had a really good player. I mean, the guy scored like 50-something points in one game. About halfway through the season, he got kicked off his team. And, of course, everybody was talking about it like, oh, my goodness, you know, how do you get rid of that guy? Well, you know, after doing a little talking to some people, he was absolute poison on his team. And he was poisoning the whole rest of the team. Sometimes there's addition by subtraction. And that can be that way in the church as well. If there's people who are bringing up things that don't need to be brought up and teaching things that don't need to be taught and, and leading men astray, we need addition by subtraction. <laughs> we need to purge those things from among God's people. Uh, just turn to Ezra chapter 9. That, I'll take this side trip uh, for just a minute Ezra chapter 9 verses 1 through 4 now when these things were done the princes came to me saying the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands doing according to their abominations even of the Canaanites the Hittites the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and, and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers hath been chief in this trespass. And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle, and plucked off the hair of my head and my beard, and sat down astonished. Then were assembled unto me every one that trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away and I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice so here's what Ezra is basically saying in this passage he's saying that the people of Israel they intermingled themselves with the people of the land and what happened did they influence the people of the land or did the people of the land influence them they said no they've they've not only picked up through marriage their people they've also picked up their abominations that's the exact wording it says, doing according to their abominations. So because there, were not, <coughs> there was not proper separation between these two groups, uh, they picked up some, some really bad things, things that are described as abominations. So that's just a, an example of what we're speaking about here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, where there's sometimes separation is necessary, purging that's a pretty tough word, right? To say purging something, uh, it means to get rid of some things, to, to take it away. That's a pretty tough word, but it's something that we need. Now, our problem with this is that we, by our human nature, we want others to like us, don't we? We want to get along with people. Well, most people do. You ever met somebody who didn't? I have. <laughs> but most people, even if they're kind of rough around the edges, most people deep down, they want other people to like them. They want to be spoken well of. Uh, most people, I think, especially in the church, would probably want to err most of the time on a big tent side of things. So what do I mean by that? I mean, let's be all inclusive. Let's include people. Have you heard any of that language in the church lately? Uh, it's dangerous. It's very dangerous. It's not that we don't want to be welcoming. I think that's, that's absolutely necessary, and that's what a Christian should be. But just being all inclusive is not what the Bible says. What does the Bible say about the Word of God? What, is, what does the Word of God do? It divides. 
And it divides uh, in, in a very purposeful way. It's an absolute truth. It does not compromise. The word of God does not change. It is always true, and, and it, it is our standard. So compromise hinders usefulness and effective in, effectiveness in ministry. And as servants of God and as believers, purging is not usually fun. It can be difficult and painful, and yet to produce more fruit, it is necessary. Go to Titus. One book over there, Titus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he is such as subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. Now that, that passage has been used to do a lot of harm. I'm not going to say it hasn't. It has. It's been used in improper ways. But at its core, it's, it's, it's the truth of what we're hearing here in 2 Timothy. That if somebody is presenting something to the church, is teaching something to the church that is not true, we have to purge ourselves of that if we're going to be effective and useful in ministry. There has to be separation that takes place there. Now, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story about that. When, um, when I went to Greenwood and pastored the church there, I started... I preached a couple of sermons on this horrible doctrine called perseverance. And, and that's a joke, please. You know, that's, you, you know that I believe in perseverance. But I, I preached a couple of sermons on perseverance, and evidently the tapes somehow traveled in Mississippi. And so I got a phone call, and these two pastors asked to come meet with me, and they did. And we found out very quickly that we're just not on the same page, and, and, and that's okay. You know, but I wouldn't go to their church and preach, and I probably wouldn't call them to come preach at my church. It's just, you know, it's okay. And so we met, had, had you know, civil conversation and talked about many things. But when they left, I thought, you know, that's just not ever going to happen. This is not going to work itself out. Well, about two weeks later, I got a phone call, and they said, Brother Andy, we want to come back and meet with you again. And I said, I just don't think that's profitable. I think we've established that we don't agree on that doctrine. So why do we need to meet again? And he said, well... Titus chapter 3 says, after the first and second admonition, you know, you call him a heretic. I said, I'll let this phone call count. Let's just count the phone call. And, and I promise, if anybody ever asks me, I'll say that you had admonished me twice. Because this phone call will count as, as admonition number two. So there had to be some separation there. You know, and that's okay. I, it didn't bother me that, you know, that they did that. Um, they go their way and I go my way. And and I'm still very firmly convinced that what I believe about perseverance is the truth and, and will be um, unless God changes my mind and, and the Bible changes, which it won't, um, I, I will always believe that. But as I said, that's caused some harm, but it, it, yet at the heart of it, it's really something that we should um, understand is necessary. Purging is necessary. So now I'm not a horticulturist and... I can barely grow anything, just being honest. I'm not somebody who's done a lot of growing plants, and, you know, you know people can be riding down the road, and they look say, oh, this is that, and this is that. I, I don't know much about it. But I have heard that in many plants, if you want it to grow and produce more fruit, what do you have to do? You have to trim it back, right? you got to cut off the dead pieces. you got to cut off the branches that are not producing fruit because they're taking energy away from the branch that is producing fruit. So you have to purge it so that it produces more fruit. And then ultimately, if you continue over time to not do that, to not purge the plant, it will eventually stop bearing fruit and wither away. Now apply that to our situation. 
That's a scary thought for the church, is it not? If we continue to go on like everything's fine and we're big tent and everybody's okay and we're just going to accept error and we're just going to accept things that are not true and we're going to make them a part of us and pretend like we're all on the same page, that's scary. That's, that's, a, that's, that's a recipe for the church to... Now, the church is not going away. God will have his church. But he didn't say it had to be here and he didn't have to say it had to be under any particular name. So... I believe in the perpetuity of the church. I just don't believe that it necessarily has to be uh, with any particular group of people. So uh, lesson number one from our text then on being prepared for usefulness is that we must purge false teachers that hold to error. Those without biblical teaching and biblical vision, those that impose themselves uh, by being imprisoned in false doctrines and practices. That's, that's a, the, kind of the negative side that he's expressing to Timothy here, that Paul's expressing to Timothy at the end of chapter 2. Now, secondly, it says, flee and follow. Flee and follow. That's verses 22 and 23. Flee also useful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strifes. So the previous section of our text taught us how to prepare for usefulness in how we react to vessels of dishonor. All right, so that's what we've already studied. How do we react to the vessels of dishonor, those who are stirring up strife, those who are teaching falsehoods? How do we react to them? Paul says to Timothy, you've got to purge yourself of them. That's what you've got to do. There's, there's, a, there's not... That, that's kind of a negative thing. You just got to separate yourself from them. This section of our text is going to teach us how that we interact with the vessels of honor. So he kind of shifts gears. He says, that's how you react to the vessels of dishonor. This is how you need to act and interact with the vessels of honor. So the first part of that is flee. So you say, well, wait a minute now. <laughs> you know, you're talking about vessels of honor and you're saying to flee? Well, it's not saying to flee those people. It's saying to flee certain actions that would hinder our fellowship with those people. So when he says to flee, what does that mean? That means why would we flee something if the topic is the vessels of honor? The flee portion of this verses, which really encompasses the first phrase of verse 22 and all of verse 23, it means to flee youthful lusts and avoid foolish and unlearned questions. So these are actions. These are things that we can do. It entails us fleeing from actions that we might do that can hinder our fellowship with the vessels of honor. So youthful lust here is not talking about sexual sins in this context. It's talking about sins, and I think it's particularly, this is another place I agree with John Gill on here, it's the besetting sins of young ministers and new believers. It is those things of, of maybe pride and um, preeminence and popular applause, of contentiousness and contempt and, and those things uh, that uh, intemperance sometimes leads to. Now, we hate to say that young people are a lot of times intemperate, but we've all been there, right? <laughs> you know, um, there's a lot of zeal with new believers, right? There's a lot of zeal and fire with young ministers. That is not a bad thing, but man, it can get off the rails really quickly, right? It can, it can really uh, kind of multiply upon itself very quickly. So, that's what he means there by youthful lust. Um, things that, that are um, apt to happen, and, and those things can hinder. 
So what he's saying here, there's people who you want to fellowship with. You don't want to purge. You want to keep as close as you possibly can. So if you flee from these things, if you avoid these things, it helps the fellowship and the unity of those vessels of honor. Next he says, but foolish and unlearned questions (coughs) avoid. So foolish and and unlearned questions avoid. Such uh, as have no solid wisdom in them, things that are foreign from the gospel, um, things like that. So uh, there are things that we're never going to know for sure, and just arguing about them over and over and over again is, is probably not profitable. It's something we need to avoid, and it's caused a lot of trouble. And you know who's to blame for that more than anybody else is the ministry. I'm going to point the finger at, at us because it's really the ministry that tends to do that. And remember, this is Paul teaching Timothy uh, a young minister, so he's saying, look, avoid these foolish questions. You're going to cause problems in the kingdom that are avoidable, that are things that you're going to lead other people down paths that, that get them at odds with other vessels of honor. So don't do that. It says knowing that they do gender strifes, uh, contentiousness. They break the peace of churches. They hinder the profit of souls and the progress of the gospel. So I would say kind of the positive side of that is look avoid these foolish questions focus on the gospel you know what church is going to go wrong by focusing on the gospel i mean there's a lot there right i mean can we ever just really you know overdo preaching the gospel and focusing on the the main points and the things of the gospel so before i start sounding like one of those big tent people that i talked about earlier are there contentions that are about the gospel absolutely there are. There's some things that are super important because it affects the gospel. But if it doesn't affect the gospel, maybe those things, you know, we look on it's a case by case basis for sure, but we got to be careful about what things we allow to cause trouble and, and, and contentions and differences and separations in the kingdom of God. Titus 3 9, avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. See, in Titus, you see that balance in, in three verses there back to back. I just read a minute ago the same cha- Titus chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. That's where we said a man that's a heretic after the first and second admonition reject. But the verse right before it says, avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law for they're unprofitable in vain. I think that's a good balance. If it's a heresy, it has to be addressed. And you've got to purge yourself of those people and there has to be a separation. If it's not one of those issues then move on. You know, do not get bogged down in things that don't matter. Now, here's the $100 million question. What goes into what camp, right? What is worth fighting for and what is not? Therefore, we have denominations. Therefore, we have different churches, right? I mean, um, are there other churches in this area that you could drive to that have similar doctrine to us? Absolutely, there are. Similar doctrine. Um, the reason our church is here is because there's probably details of that that we maybe see a little differently, and that's okay. That, that's, that's not a wrong thing. That is okay. So that is the difficulty in this. I don't want to make it sound like it's simple. It's not. It's not easy. It's not something that doesn't take a lot of work. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 4. It's another, another text speaking about this. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so 
do. So I think that brings us to um, kind of another aspect of this, which is the edification piece. So these questions that it genders evidently are not to edification. You know, you get bogged down in these things, it doesn't build up. It doesn't move us forward in our understanding of Scripture. It doesn't move us forward in our understanding of the gospel. It doesn't move us forward in our understanding of God. And if that be the case, then it's not something that we need to fight over and, and, and have problems with. So uh, we need to be careful about those things. Now, that's the, the flee side. Then there's a follow side. So he says flee these things that hinder your fellowship with those who are vessels of honor. But follow after these things. Uh, there are finally some positive side of this exhortation. We've talked about purging. We've talked about fleeing all these actions. So now there's finally some positive side of this exhortation that Paul's given to Timothy. He says, after talking about purging others and fleeing from the traps that we set for ourselves through youthful lust and, and foolish and unlearned questions, now we're told that we follow or seek after or go towards, move towards righteousness, faith, charity, and peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So we seek those people who are these vessels of honor, and then we seek everything we do to just attach ourselves to them in these characteristics. Seek out these kinds of people and follow after them. Join yourself to them. Follow like-minded servants of God. Seek them out. It says follow righteousness. Those who are doing right those who are standing for truth, uh, those who have integrity and faithfulness in the ministry of the word. That's the men that we should seek out to, to follow after, not to separate ourselves from, but to do everything we can within our power, and I'll just put it in layman's terms, to get along with them, okay? If they're men of integrity and men who are following righteousness, we want to follow after them. We want to seek them. We don't want to separate ourselves from them. It says faith. That's what we believe in common, the faith that we have in common with them, veracity and truth in the preaching of the gospel that they do, striving for that, uh, that we have that common faith and that common concern and love for the truth. Now, how does all of this take place, and how is that possible? How do we follow after? How do we seek after those men? It takes charity. It takes love, because love hopes and believes all things. Love is willing to overlook minor blemishes, right? Or there would be no such thing as marriage, right? <laughs> if love couldn't overlook some things, how would you ever be married? <laughs> because we've all got plenty of faults that have to be looked over, and we do that through Love, And so it's the same here when we're trying to all get along and to come together to follow after one another in service to God. It takes charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So we want to be at peace with those men. We want to be at peace with those believers. We want to seek peace. Peace is not something that comes naturally. And you know why? Because we live in a fallen world. Satan does not like peace in the church. He's going to do everything he can from the color of the carpet to the way somebody spoke to you at church or did not speak to you at church. 
to you don't like the way they dress, to minor issues, to nitpicking. I, I, I can go on, but we all know because we do it ourselves. That's why we know. We, we, we all know these things. That is of Satan to interrupt the peace of the church and hinder what was our whole, whole big concept in this message. Usefulness. Okay, you want to hinder the usefulness of the church? Don't follow after peace. Because it's something we have to seek. It's something we have to go after. We have to follow it. We have to seek it. And so when we don't, Satan's going to get in. He's going to cause problems. And that's going to hinder the usefulness of not only ourselves, but through ourselves also the church. I think that's another thing to keep in mind is that you know, when we look at those two things, ourselves and the church, you affect the church, right? It's not just that the church affects you, you affect the church. So when you become unuseful in God's service due to all of these things, then you're hindering others because we're all in it together. Whether you like it or not, if we're all here together, we're in it together. And it's what everything that we do affects everyone else. So if you make someone angry or you insult them or you know, things like that, you're hindering the usefulness of the entire church. Now, our last point this morning is patience with prisoners. So that's an easy concept to understand, I think, uh, this last section of Scripture is, but much harder in actuality when we try to put it into practice. So patience with prisoners. Verses 24 through 26. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. So I told you the first section we were primarily and almost exclusively focused on the vessels of dishonor. Next section, we were talking about the vessels of honor. So how do I act and how do I follow after and seek after things that will help my relationship and my usefulness through my interacting with the vessels of honor? So what about this last section? What do you think? Who are we talking about that we must have patience with? Patience with prisoners. Well, the answer is difficult. I'll just go ahead and tell you. The answer is all men. The answer is those that are opposing themselves, those that are in prisons of their own making, all of those people we're to have patience with, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. And this includes those sometimes who are in error, because eventually we're going to have to part ways with them, right? We're not throwing away the first section of this scripture. It's still there. It's still valid, but we're to work with them patiently, peradventure, that God, do you think it's possible for God to change somebody? He did it to me. He did it to you. If you're a believer, he changed you. You had beliefs that were not right. Uh, you were not someone who was seeking after God. He changed you. So he can change them. So we're to have patience with all men. So then, like we said, where do we draw the line between purging the vessels of dishonor and following after vessels of honor? And does this mean that at the first sign of disagreement, we break out the pruning shears and we start chopping? Is that, is that the message of this passage? I think that's why Paul adds this on the end. He's saying there's some balance to this. And overall, the, the umbrella that goes over all of this is that you should have patience and that you should 
um, be gentle. The word, two words I would say really about this whole last section is gentleness and patience is what we have to have. So I believe he's given some balance here to the preceding verses and exhorting Timothy and all of us today on the overall demeanor and attitude by which we should pr- proceed as we purge and we flee and we follow. That should all be over, over um, covered by patience and gentleness. So I'll, I'll just ask this question. Have you ever been through church trouble? Um, sometimes it's necessary. Did you know that? That it's necessary. And sometimes it's good. Um, sometimes there are separations that take place that need to happen. But it's not fun going through it. But I have seen it happen in two ways. I've seen it where the church was in the right, that they were dealing with it. I've seen it where that patience and gentleness was used in the process, that men were entreated, they were asked, they were given opportunity, they would not change, and the church had to act, and there was a purging that took place, and I believe that is all good and right. I've also seen it done where it's done out of anger. It was done uh, without patience, without um, you know, working with and, and laboring with people. That is wrong. It will always be wrong, and it gives church discipline a bad name. There's people in, in, among even the primitive Baptists who don't even believe in church discipline at all. And you know why? They've seen it done wrong. They don't understand it. They think it's mean. It's not mean. It's loving. Church discipline, when it's done correctly, is a loving act. It is something that we're doing to try to entreat people to come back to the faith, to come back to the truth. So, verse 24, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. So when it says he must not strive, there's some striving that we are to do. We're to strive for the faith of the gospel, the, the scriptures say. There's things that we are supposed to work and, and strive towards, but this is not one of them. Um, we must be gentle unto all men. He must not strive, and that means that we're not looking for a fight, right? You ever met somebody who's just looking for a fight? <laughs> They're just wanting somebody to say something to them so they can just jump down their throat or jump on them. Well, he's saying we're not to be that way. We're to be gentle, not striving or not looking for a fight. The true Christian minister or the minister or the mature Christian disciple is going to have a demeanor that promotes edification. Now, you remember we talked about this just a little bit earlier. I almost got ahead of myself. I had to hold off there because really the goal of this is to build up, right? Usefulness in the kingdom of God is a building thing. It's something that builds. It doesn't tear down. Uh, is so edification and unity should be the goal of any of these these things that we're talking about the purging the fleeing or the following and so paul says your demeanor of kindness and love especially to timothy and to us too that's going to be the way or the context in which you're going to promote this truth that's unto godliness and and also the means by which uh arguments and contention and all that can be avoided and unity and and edification is promoted precisely uh, through this this demeanor of gentleness and patience now i'm going to be honest with you people who believe like we do you can call it what you want calvinist those who believe in the doctrines of grace we have a terrible reputation when it comes to this quality okay we're seen as argumentative we're seen as that, that we're going we're gonna to push this down your throat. I don't think that's true in every case. But, but I would also would say that it's a well-earned reputation 
overall. <laughs> and, and so this is an exhortation that we really ought to take to heart. When you talk to people who don't believe like you do and you try to bring the truth to them, you're trying to edify, be patient, be gentle. You know, don't make fun of what they believe. You think God would be proud of that? That, okay, this guy doesn't believe like I do, so I'm going to just really just, you know, I'm going to put him in his place. That's not the demeanor that we're to have. We're to be apt to teach, patient. So that's our next little section, apt to teach and patient. That word apt to teach, it's one word in the Greek, uh, translated into the phrase apt to teach. It's in two places in the scripture. Um, Didactikos, uh, skillful in teaching. So it has the idea of a skillfulness. So not only do we our, our patient and our demeanor is a certain way. There is a skillfulness in the way that we present things that can have a big effect on, on how that, that comes across. Um, there's a way to do it, in other words, and there's a way not to do it. And it says we're, uh, for the ministers particularly, we're to be apt to teach. We're people who must be able to approach that the right way, have a skillfulness in teaching. First Timothy 3.2, you don't have to turn there for time's sake. A bishop... Then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality. And the last qualification in that verse, apt to teach. Apt to teach. It's the same thing. It's the same word that we have here in 2 Timothy. So I'll just put it this way. This is an easy way to say it. If you make someone angry or insult them or overwhelm them with too much information in a short period of time, you think there's a likelihood they're going to learn much from you. You know, you're not putting them in a good position to be apt to change their mind <laughs> if you insult them or, or you know, overwhelm them or make them angry. Um, there is a skillfulness in teaching in a non-combative way that brings people along with you. It brings them alongside of you. I think that's what's under consideration here. He's telling Timothy, be skillful in the way that you teach. Bring people along. Build up. Don't tear down. Um, be, be a teacher who teaches unto edification that builds up. Uh, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. So teaching with humility is also a key ingredient. So we've talked about the patience. We've talked about gentleness, a skillfulness in the way that we teach and that we share with others. This is talking about humility. So, uh, and I love the way it says, instructing those that oppose themselves. They're opposed to the truth and yet are described as opposing themselves, contradictory in their belief and unsettled in their understanding. I think that's what that means. They're unsettled. Uh, they're, they're unsure in their understanding. So we have to approach them with humility. To be patient requires humility. Did you know that? <laughs> to be patient with people requires humility. So those things tie together uh, very, very closely. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. This is one of my favorite parts of that passage because it gives us hope that, you know, when we talk about purging and separation and all of those different things, it, it makes us think that that's a permanency. Did you know that that's not permanent necessarily? That, that God has the ability, God is able to change them and to bring them to the truth. And sometimes it takes a separation for God to finish that work in them. And so the church's job is to do what we're supposed to do and, and turn them over to God. And, and God could, peradventure, it says here in our text, that's a word we don't use a whole lot anymore, but God perhaps will give them repentance 
to the acknowledging of the truth. So God can convict them and change their mind about their convictions to result in a true and an honest confession and an acknowledgement of the truth that they once opposed. And such a repentance is the gift of God. It is something that comes from Him. I believe that thoroughly. So let me sum that up. We're not the ones that are going to change their mind. Okay? <laughs> we can make the argument, and I think we should. We should be skillful in teaching. We should do all of these things. Be patient. Be gentle. Be skillful in teaching. Do it with humility. We should flee certain things that are going to turn people off. We should follow after good men. All of those things, but it's God that's going to change their mind and their heart on that issue. And so we acknowledge that, and we say, there, there's, there's a possibility that this is going to happen, so I'm going to follow after all these things, and I'm going to pray that God would, would do that if it's his will, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Are you glad that we can be recovered out of the snare of the devil? That's good news to me. Have you ever had a belief that you changed, even on something major? It's hard to admit, isn't it? Your mind's probably searching right now, and there may be some, oh, I wouldn't mention that one. <laughs> that was embarrassing, you know, that I changed my mind on that. Um, God's changed my mind on things before. Uh, he's shown me a better way. And I think for all of us as Christians, that's a process we're all going through as we approach more Christian maturity. So I'm glad that we can recover ourselves out of those snares, those things that Satan has laid down. You know, a lot of times those things, um, this is free of charge. This is just my my commentary on that last verse when we talk about the snare of the devil we think of something really big right just some huge heresy error thing i think a lot of times satan's smarter than that he doesn't say what's directly opposed to the truth he makes it almost sound like the truth and that's where the real snares of the devil lie it's the thing that's close to the truth but not there and that that's what makes it so difficult i think his snares you know like we said before satan presents himself as what as an angel of light he doesn't come up to you and just walk up to your face and say, I'm the devil and I want you to do this because it's going to be great because you're going to be serving me instead of God. If it was that simple, we would all be like, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, but instead, it's, it's, it's very, he can, he can blur those lines. So, once again, what makes it difficult in all of this? It's the gray areas. It's the things that are close, that are, are difficult for us to determine. So true teaching always aims at engaging someone in order that they might be led towards repentance and faith. All growth in Christian knowledge entails repentance. It means that if we grow, there's a repentance that's involved. That means that we're leaving some things behind and we're moving uh, in a better direction. So we find out things about ourselves and we find out things about God that we didn't understand. And so we repent and we move towards a better understanding. So all, all true learning and, and growth in Christian knowledge entails repentance in that way. But the way that we grow is to embrace the truth, repent of our sin, and seek to conform more and more to the likeness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the, the bottom line of all of this, when we go back to the very beginning uh, of our message, when we say prepared for usefulness in the kingdom of God, we want to be useful. That entails for us to be all about the gospel. I think that's what this all boils back down to, is that we have to be all about the gospel and make that our focus rather than all of these other things that can lead us away from the truth. May God bless us to have the strength, the wisdom, and all that is necessary to seek after the right things and flee from those things that we should leave behind. May the Lord bless and keep you.